Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Conversation. My guest today is Jeff Henderson, who is an entrepreneur, speaker, pastor, and business leader. For the last 15 years, Jeff has helped lead two North Point ministries, these multi-site locations from in Atlanta, Georgia, first the Buckhead Church and then Gwinnett Church. He pastored both of those churches and helped launch also North Point Online, which now reaches over 200,000 people. Jeff is also the founder of several organizations, including Champion Tribes, which some of us here at Browncroft take advantage of, a rite of passage experience for fathers with middle school sons. He also started Preaching Rocket, an online coaching program with over 20,000 participants. He also started Launch University, a podcast for entrepreneurs, and The Four Company, which he just launched, which is part of our conversation today, which helps businesses, nonprofits, and even churches uh, grow. Jeff was recently named by Forbes magazine as one of the t- t- 20, uh, one of the 20 speakers you shouldn't miss. Hopefully, you will hear him at Browncroft sometime next year. Jeff, welcome to the conversation. Hey, Rob. Great to see you uh, via the internet. But yeah, mm-hmm. I do want to get there in person. So, um, But thanks for all that you all do. Very inspired watching you from down here in the South. Well, it's just an honor to spend some time with you, a few minutes with you. Thanks for taking the time with us. I know you've been, you're have been you in a, a lot of transition um, of your own relative to your company. And as I just mentioned um, on this when I introduced you, we got to know you. I'm talking about Browncroft. I've known who Jeff Henderson has is uh, for many years, been a longtime admirer of the ministry that you've been a part of. But uh, many of us at Browncroft know you because of your book um, that just came out. We read it as a staff when it first came out. Is it about a year ago, I'd say? When did your book come out? You're right. Yep. A little over a year ago. Yeah. Correct. So our staff, our, our executive team read it. We talked about it. And then uh, we knew we would do this sometime in 2020, which we're doing it now. But let me just start for those who, who don't know it yet. You know, the, the basic two questions that are at the basis of your book, you know, I um, – are, are really about this gap, you know, what, what is, what is an organization like to be known for? What is their aspirational desire, whether you're a church right. or you're any kind of organization, in our case, a church, what do you want to be known for? And then what are you known for, uh, over, you know, by the people who are in your community or your constituency? And so this is the basis of your book. And I just wonder, um, you know, what are the primary reasons, um, for the gap, I mean, the, the book I think assumes that there's a gap in most organizations, and and when you think about whether it's a church or, or any business, you know, what what is the reasons why most organizations or churches have a gap in these two questions? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and and you know, really for um, you know the, the the question, what do you want to be known for, is your vision, and then what are you known for, is the reality. And, and the goal of any leader or leadership team is to try to make sure that the vision and reality match and that the reality doesn't bring the vision down, but that vision lifts the reality up. And, you know, these two questions can be a little pesky, Rob, because it seems like um, what we're doing is we're, t- you know, the old analogy of taking a rock and picking a rock up and looking at all the squiggly things underneath it, all the ugly things that we'd rather just put the rock underneath. Every organization has that. There is no perfect organization. There's a gap between what you want to be known for and what you are known for. That's okay. At the same time, every single day is an opportunity for a team to come together and to say, okay, we're going to close the gap and make sure that our vision matches our reality and that our reality 
matches our vision and the vision lifts the reality. And a lot of organizations, there's a lot of um, silos, you know, accounting versus marketing, operations versus sales. Whereas when you understand that we might have different roles, but at the same time, our purpose, our mission should be the same to make sure that everyone is experiencing what we want to be known for. And when you close the gap, you create loyalty. You create, you know, if you want to use it from a business standpoint, brand loyalty. The reason people are loyal to a company is because they have benefited from the product and they've experienced the unique vision. And when it comes to the church, the church should have this down pat because we have the greatest message the world has ever seen, the most inclusive. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's invited. Everyone gets in the same way. And yet when we started going at church, we began to realize that, no, actually many people are more familiar with what the church is against right. rather than what the church is for. So one of the inspiring, one of the many inspiring things about Browncroft Brown is that you guys want to be known for what you're for. And there's so much to be known for. And so whether it's a church or a business or a nonprofit organization, when people want to have their reality of what they're, they are known for and the vision to lift it, and so those two questions match, that's, a, that's how you grow your business. That's how you grow your organization. Mm. And you, one of the things that you mentioned in your book, maybe it's a good way to, to follow up on that question, is you know customer engagement's the new customer service. I know that sounds kind of business speak, but you know we are in the people business. So how do, you, how do, you, how do we think about that as a church? Sure. Well, let's, let's just talk old school marketing for a second. Mm-hmm. Old school marketing yells at people that says, look at us. You know, they uh, interrupt YouTube videos. They try to shout at you and are screaming to get your attention. I believe, and we're seeing this in research, Rob, that that kind of approach, the effectiveness of that kind of approach is starting to quickly diminish. So, so instead of saying, look at us, thriving organizations are saying, we see you. And we see you as customer engagement, proactive customer engagement that says, we see you, we're here for you, and we want to help make your life better because you're the hero and not us. So when I talk to a lot of organizations, I ask them to go to their Instagram page. And of the last 10 posts that they've posted, I ask them to count how many are about the organization or the business and how many are about the customer. And typically, it's 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10. It's all about the business. Right. And while we should continue to talk about our products and services and what we're doing in the community, at the same time, that puts the business as the hero or the organization as the hero and not mm-hmm. the customer. Right. Um, a, a football analogy would be that if you have a stadium that a lot of businesses or organizations want the fans, to, the customers to be fans in the stand and, and they're cheering the organization on. And what I'm asking churches and businesses and organizations to do is flip that script put the customers on the field, the businesses in the stands cheering the customer on. Mm. And so even when I talk to churches, I'm like, okay, what if I looked at your Instagram page? How many are about what's happening this Sunday versus what's going on in the community? Right. And the question we ask early on at our church, at Gwinnett Church is years from now, if we decided to close down, would the community even notice? Right. Or would the community rise up and protest and say, no, 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 you can't close down. Right. Because you add so much value to our community that if you close down, we suffer. Well, I think one of the many great things about Browncroft is that you're, you're moving in that direction. You're wanting to add value to people. Um, and I think something powerful happens when those who said no to church mm-hmm. 
realized the church has still said yes to them. There's something powerful to that. And so differently and authentically being four people, I think, is a game changer. You have so many great stories, and I can't remember if I read it in the book or I heard you talk about, I think it was a couple that was getting married at Home Depot. Was that a story that you told? And, and, they, were, and, and they ended up, you know, profiling that company or, or that, that couple. And then, of course, the, the story of... Um, you know, dominoes. I think that is in your book with the uh, the potholes. Yeah. I mean, that's that was genius. You know, and uh, I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision to make, but that certainly was a great way to you know be doing good for uh, doing good is is good business, as you say. Yes, and and research is proving that out. It's not just a couple of pastors talking on a podcast saying do, business leaders doing good is good for business. Right. I mean, it it really is. In fact, the younger you go with the demographics in terms of research the more compelling future customers and current customers are saying, what is your organization doing to help make the world a better place? And when you can bake that purpose into the purchase, even better. And I'm not suggesting that organizations do something stupid, dumb, or off mission. But, you know, you know even when, a, let's just keep on the business front, a business does great things for a community by hiring people, um, you know, providing right. for people in the community. I mean, in many respects, that's, that's doing good just in and of itself. But when you can add value to people in the community, um, it's going to make a difference. A friend of mine is the chief global uh, officer for a multi-billion dollar international uh, family brand that serves families. And he's, he's one of the many ones that have shown me research that says, the younger we go in the demographic, the more they're asking, what is our company doing to help make the world a better place or in our vernacular rob what are you doing to show the world that you're for them right and uh, so i just think that's a really really important thing this is this isn't just a nice thing to do it's just it's a smart thing to do you know you a lot of what i learned from reading your book is there is a lot of i think you, you said maybe it was in a podcast or in the book but you said you know the the business community um, could stand to learn something from the nonprofit community, and the nonprofit community could stand to learn something or two from the business community. And one of the stories that stood out, um, tucked away in your book, is when you were pre-North um, Point. I think I think it might have been at Chick Fil A. Is it David Sailors, if I'm saying his name right? And you mentioned a question he asked to store operators, just a small question that you were maybe his, um, you know, just really under him or just beginning your career. And you, and, and this simple question found its way into the core of your book. Say a few words about that story. Yeah, David would sit down with, with operators. These are restaurant operators. And he would say, what, what did you do today to build your business? And uh, sometimes they would say, well, you know, two weeks ago we did this. And uh, three weeks ago we had this big catering order. And then next week we're going to do this. And David, you know, one of my heroes, in fact, I saw him this morning, but he, David would say, well, that's good, but that's not the answer to the question. The question is, what did you do today to build your business? Because building your business, building your church, building your organization is a daily, daily habit. And another business hero of mine, Dana Spinola, she owns a women's fabric uh, called Fabric, a women's clothing boutique. They actually have one of their key metrics, Rob, every single day, they have to deliver wow. They have to deliver wow to a customer and they have to report back to the home office. Here's what we did to wow one customer today. An example of delivering wow is one Valentine's Day, uh, a, a wife came in shopping for a dress for Valentine's Day dinner, but then she mentioned, I'm not sure we're even going to go, be able to go tonight because we can't find a babysitter. 
Well, the store employee heard that and said, well, you know, you, you're such a loyal customer of ours. I'll babysit for you. Um, well that, you know, she can't do it for everyone, but she can do it for that particular one. And that's what I love. What pastor Andy Stanley says, do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone. Because when you do that on a daily basis, Mm. those ones become a lot of ones over time. Mm. And, you are showing people that you're genuinely for them. And when that happens, generally speaking, and more consistently than we know, people will return the favor. Because when you ask people, tell me about the businesses or organizations that you're very loyal to, it's not an exhaustive list. In fact, you'll be hard-pressed for people to give you five. Right. I just want to be in one of the five. Right. As a church, as a small business, as an organization, I want to be in that, in that arena to be at least in the top five. But to do that, I'm going to have to deliver wow. And when you deliver wow on a daily basis, you answer David's question, which is what did you do today Today. to your business? Mm. You you devote a lot of your book, a whole chapter actually of your book about the importance of team. And I know that looks different at different places, but obviously churches have teams too. Why is it so important um, to be for your team? to make a uh, have a successful organization? There's a great question. There's a very direct connection between how you serve your team and how you serve your customers because the team is eventually treated like the customer is treated. Hmm. So you can, you can tell me that you have the greatest customer strategy in the world, but if the team is mistreated, just given enough time, the customer will be mistreated as well. And um, I was recently visiting with Paul Leone. I heard Paul Leone speak. He is the um, CEO of this really um, established hotel chain. And their most famous hotel is the Breakers in West Palm Beach. And the first thing that they measure isn't customer satisfaction. The first thing that they measure is employee satisfaction. Mm. Because they they know if if their employees are satisfied, then that will flow to customer satisfaction. And those two travel together. Mm. And so in my in my former life, being in the quick service restaurant industry, I went to numerous fast food restaurants, uh, both Chick-fil-A that I worked for and other organizations. And I could tell when I walked up to the counter how the person on the other side of the counter was being treated because it was flowing right to me. Mm. So it's not enough to be for the customer. You have to genuinely create a for the team culture. Mm. But a lot of leaders sometimes push back and say, I don't have time for that. Right. I totally understand the time elements and the time constraints. But when you say that you don't have time to create a for the team culture, then you decided to create your culture by default, not by design. Right. And you have to fight for that. You have to fight for creating that for the team culture. And it, the for the team culture is also a day by day approach. It's not going on a retreat three years ago and never having right. another right. team out um, so how you treat the team is ultimately how the team is going to treat the customer. You can't separate the two. You, you talked about um, the importance of, maybe this goes right back to what you were saying even before this last question about the, you know, um, being for the customer, uh, you know, about having passionate inviters. Now, I think of the word inviter because it's a church context, but it could be passionate, um, you know, um, uh, people who, who shop at your store. But how does a church, because I'm asking a man who spent almost 20 years leading, uh, you know, very large churches, how do you go about creating passionate inviters in the context of a church? Well, one of the things I mentioned in the book 
was if someone would give me a lot of money to have the coolest website and social media strategy, or they would give me 100 people to invite people to church, I would take those 100 people every single day. Yeah. And the reason this isn't just true for business, it's true, uh, true, true for church, it's true for business. Um, a business, for example, is no longer what cu- it tells customers it is. A business is what customers tell other customers it is. That's right. the ballgame. Positive word of mouth advertising. So I can say all day long about how I have the best hot dog stand in town. But if you come and have a hot dog with me, Rob, and then put on Yelp that it was a really bad hot dog, you win because you have more credibility than me. Mm. So the reason I need people to invite people to, to church is that they can influence people. They have a sphere of influence that I don't have. Because ultimately, if I'm the pastor of that church, ultimately I invested in, I have self-interest in you thinking that this is a great um, church for you to attend. Mm-hmm. But when an inviter, when a, a person who doesn't work there, um, who isn't paid to do anything like this, when they put on their social media page, you know, I love this church, or you should come to the church, or forget social media, they just say, hey, will you come to church with me this Sunday? Right. There's a credibility, there's an air of credibility that they have because they're not, there's no self-interest in this other than being interested and tied into the mission and vision of that organization. Right. So the more inviters you have, the more vision carriers you have. Right. And the more vision carriers you have, the more vision casters you have. Right. In every organization, if it wants to grow, and how you define growth is different within every organization. Right. But I don't understand organizations that don't want to grow. Right. Because... I don't think anyone, if you don't grow, if you extrapolate that over time, you eventually die. And again, how you define growth is different within the organization, but growth is really important. And the way you grow is to create more vision carriers who will tell others about your business, your church, and your organization. Because the more vision carriers you have, the more vision casters you have. And these are free vision casters. They don't cost you. So when you we think about your your last great venture, I mean Gwinnett Church, obviously you you know you 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 worked very hard to create a very strong ministry, you know from from adults down to kids, and uh, a lot a lot of the things great things that some of us our listeners know about um, you and about um, Andy Stanley. But how did you? Was there something more that you do to create this vision carrier system? Um, uh, besides putting on a great ministry or, or, um, how else do you have to go about or one need to go about to, to keep that, um, you know, create authentic vision carriers, as you say, it's not a marketing campaign. Right. Well, the product has to be really strong. Right. Okay. You know, back, back into my Chick-fil-A days, there were operators that would say, you know, if I just deliver a good chicken sandwich, everything will take care of itself. Well, that's halfway true. If you deliver a bad chicken sandwich and you have great marketing, you're marketing to your detriment. So we, we, we can't have bad products. We've got to have great products and great service. And yet, in today's hyper-competitive, very busy world, if you're just going to deliver a product and, and if you're going to build it and expect people to come, okay, but that may, there may be a dangerous assumption to do that. You might have a global pandemic that changes everything. Right. And if you don't have loyalty, you're going to feel it. Okay. And so from, uh, from my standpoint, um, when we when we launched Gwinnett Church, we got we had to have the systems down. We had to have the best ministry. There's no perfect ministry, but we needed to make sure that people felt like when they attended church on Sunday, it was worth coming to, mm. and that the systems were great, mm. and the ministry was great, and that they were benefiting and they were getting closer in their relationship with God. All that is the quote unquote product. 
At the same time, I've got to equip the vision carriers to tell people in their sphere of influence who we are and what we're doing and what we're about. And that's, a, you know, it, when I talk about vision carriers, you have to equip them. And whether it's marketing or whatever word people want to use, right. to me, it's just equipping the vision carriers. So what you're doing to launch for, our, for Rochester with 4ROC, you're equipping the vision carriers. Basically, you're giving them language to be able to share with their friends and their community. Because vision's like a bucket of water. And it's a, a bucket of words. And the more words you have in the bucket, the more words will fall out. Mm. It's why a seven-paragraph mission statement will never work because people can't remember that. Mm. The, the words compete against each other. So for ROC is something that people can transport and translate mm. into the community and on a, on a single tweet, if you will. Right. And not that this is about social media, but it's about them internalizing the message. It's why things like just do it with Nike and eat right. more chicken right. with Chick-fil-A or with the one campaign, Making Poverty History. Those are three words mm. that you can take and remember. Yeah. And that's really hard to do, but that's the ballgame. Yeah. It's being able to take vision, make it compelling, make it concise, and make it portable yeah. so that they can hand off to their friends. So yes, you've got to have a fantastic ministry or in a business case, fantastic products and services, but you cannot stop there. And the, and the opposite is true. You can't have great marketing and great vision casting, bring people in and right. they feel like it's a bait switch. That right. this isn't what you, you said. Know. And not right. that you have to be perfect. I mean, you know, the standards are high. Right. But, um, and there needs to be a genuine, authentic approach right. that when you mess up, like we messed up, like, hey, you know what? That wasn't the best Sunday we've ever had, but we got another one coming up. Let's have it. Let's have the. Let's have a better one. Right. So it's not about perfection, but it is about progress. I heard you say once, and you you was kind of a passing comment, so you, I didn't hear the details on it. But that the most important thing a church can do, you said this with conviction, if you remember, you were talking to somebody, is to stay on message. And I think you said I wrote it down. That alone would revolutionize the impact of any church. The most important thing a church can do is stay on mission. What, what do you mean by that, if you remember that comment? Well, in particular, I mean, we have John 3.16, which, you know, with all due respect to businesses, they don't have that. Yeah. I mean, we've got the greatest message the world has ever heard, will ever hear. It's just there. And yet, I just feel like if we stayed on message, mm -hmm. I mean, sure, we need to talk about, you know, relationships and finances and all that. But at the end of the day, We've got the greatest message in the world, and that's really what for for ROC is about, or for Gwinnett, or for any you know anybody that's doing this campaign. It, from a church standpoint, it really is about staying on message. And uh, when it comes to leadership, leaders are repeaters, and I think sometimes as leaders we feel like we need to come up with a new innovative message every week. And yeah, we need to come up with new ways to say things and all that. I, I get it, but I just feel like in so many contexts in so many ways, the church in general has just drifted off the greatest message anyone mm. will ever hear. Mm. So, and that's why, you know, when our team in the early days resonated uh, in, in a heartbreaking way with the statement that many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather right. than what the church is for. I just thought, okay, how do we get here? We have the greatest, most inclusive message right. the world has ever seen. And yet, whenever I say, say that to people, no one ever pushes back on me and says, oh, no, that's not true. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's not true 100% of the time, but people would go, yeah, far too long, 
more people are more familiar with, right. with what the church is against. Well, that's just awful. So that's why it's so inspiring to see, to me, what you're doing and what the Browncroft team is doing to say, hey, we can't control the rest of the world, right. but God is here in Rochester. Um, we're going to do the best we can with what we've been given to steward that in our community. But while you do that, there's a group over in Visalia, California, doing for Visalia. There's a group in El Paso, Texas, doing for El Paso. There's a group in Guatemala doing for Guatemala. So this is when, when we're, this movement is building, the church is growing, and people are knowing what the church wants to be known for. And that message of what we want to be known for is really resonating. And um, so that's what I think we've got to do. If we want to see the church gain in, regain its influence, right. Got to start talking about what we're what we're for and who we're for. So you 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 kind of walked me right into this question, which you may or may not have an answer for or be interested in talking about. But I don't know if you read the article in the Atlantic magazine that just came out. I don't. You probably haven't had time. Uh, the evangelical reckoning begins. It was an interview with Andy. I don't know if you or even if you've heard about it. Okay. Well, anyway, we don't have to talk about it. I I, I it was it was just about you know politics and. You know, presidential politics, and I, I, I personally resonated a hundred percent with what Andy said, um, and just talked about. You know, obviously, there's the the whole political um, mess that, or whatever the way, you know, the, the 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 way the church has become so overly married to politics was really what the article was about. So you, but it made me think of what you're saying about getting off of message. I, I and and it's I don't know what it's been what it was like at. Um, uh, Gwinnett this year, or even North Point, I know, you, you know, uh, uh, but in our corner of the world, um, not just presidential politics, of course, that's part of it, but even the, um, you know, the race, dis- the, the race, um, uh, racial rec- uh, challenges, you know, d- the racial tensions that have been um, front and center the last year have, have been really a source of, of great um, division and, and, and conflict. And I'm, I'm not, in any way saying we shouldn't pay attention to that, but it, it, it made me think of your question of how do we listen to what's happening in our culture, respond to what's happening to our culture, which churches ought to do, um, but um, at the same time um, stay on message and before our culture. I don't know if you, if that's was a, something that you wrestled with this year at all or not. I don't know. Absolutely. It's been, you know, it's been a challenging year for a variety of different ways. And, and you know, I think people are not in a great emotional state. They're either fearful, angry, combination of the two. Right. And, and then as a result of the pastor, they begin to interpret what you're saying as, oh, I know who you're voting for now. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick example of that. I, um, we had one of the things we did on uh, our Instagram page, it was National Ice Cream Day. And uh, we're like, all right, we're going to give away ice cream to whoever wants to you know, comment or to a friend or whatever. And um, we featured uh, Jenny's ice cream. And said, all right, we're going to give you a gallon of Jenny's ice cream or something. Well, I got criticism for that because somebody, I got an email that said, hey, I'm disappointed that you brought politics into the church. I'm thinking, <laughs> how do I bring politics into the church? We're talking about ice cream. Apparently, Jenny uh, uh, announced her support of one of the presidential candidates. And so I'm like, okay. honestly, this had everything to do with Jenny's ice cream. It had nothing to do with politics. <laughs> And so I'm like, I can't even give ice cream away without getting, right. you know, somebody rolled up. And I totally understand that. But honestly, I really don't. Let me just yeah. <laughs> I really understand that. Yeah. But, but it was just mentality. And then, 
you know, I got criticism from you're doing too much on racial reconciliation to you're not doing enough. Right. And you know what? You got to pray. You got to seek wise counsel. And then you got to follow the Lord's leading. And, yeah. um, you know, one of the things that um, I've come to the realization of is that if both sides are angry at you, you're probably right where you need to be. Good. Well, that's good. Then, then I'm doing okay. Um, so you mentioned a minute ago, I'm just interested to know, as someone who's involved in all the things you're involved in, but you know, you, you're pastoring or have pastored two great churches and one uh, in, in Gwinnett that you spent the last nine or ten years with, when you mentioned the coronavirus, because you, know, you, you have never, as a pastor, like I have never as a pastor, um, been in this season, which even as you and I are talking today, It'd be one thing if it was over, you know, like, boy, that was great. We, we, we got our right. way through it. It's not over. But I wonder if you think that the coronavirus has exposed any weaknesses in the church um, or maybe opened up opportunities. What, 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 what may have it exposed and maybe where are the opportunities as far as you can see at this vantage point at this moment? I think before the, the virus hit, the big debate was, which is better, physical attendance or digital attendance? Mm-hmm. And when that, when the virus hit, it all went to digital attendance. And those on the digital attendance side, you know, cheered and said, see, we told you so. But those on the physical attendance side will say, now, over time, we've seen digital attendance begin to drop off dramatically. Mm-hmm. But I think the question of is physical or digital better is the wrong question. Um, the better question is, what are you doing local? And how can physical and digital lead to local? Because mm-hmm. I think it's the local church that ultimately will have the most direct impact. Um, even churches who go all in on digital will tell you that the local watch parties of people watching in their dens as a small group and then are able to serve and serve locally mm, is a far great. better, far better um, impact than a person just by themselves watching and then just, you know, scrolling through. Mm. So I think it's exposed the fact that the church for far too long has been a content machine right. every seven days. Um, and I think we, sure, we need to deliver content. Absolutely. But what are you doing the, the other seven days of the the other six days of the week hmm. that you can engage the community, both digitally and when you can back locally again? So I, I think this idea that digital versus physical is just the wrong approach. It's what are you doing local, and how can physical attendance and digital digital attendance help create a more local impact for the local church? And hmm. what are you doing, not just on Sunday but throughout the week? And I think. There will be a there will be a lasting in a positive way mm. a lasting impact on that. Yeah, you know it's so interesting just listening to you say that that in all the changes and innovations just in my ministry, but I mean certainly in the in the last many you know many decades or hundred years or whatever in American in American church, the 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 local church has not changed one iota. In other words, still, the local church is still the way churches are are planted. You know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of innovations and they do things differently, but we haven't changed the model of the local church. So I love what you just said. Ultimately, people, um, a local church is there to um, minister to its community and they may find unique ways to do it, innovative ways to do it. But, you know, uh, it doesn't seem to have changed much in my career that the, the importance of the local church, I guess is what I'm saying. So I really appreciate what you just said. 
and uh, we need to stop thinking about it in simply the digital and physical way. Uh, a couple more questions, Jeff. I wonder, you know, again, I, I could talk to you forever. Uh, I won't. But when I think of the ministry experience you've had, business experience you've had, but, you know, being, you know, you, you have been, and I'm not, you know, uh, pumping any sunshine your way, part of one of the strongest and um, most innovative churches in our era. I think you know that, and you've been in the leadership. And I loved hearing your story, which I, you know, when I read that you, how you first came to North Point, and you, you know, you mentioned it with your wife, it's, it was beautiful how you just found your way there, and next thing you know, you're in leadership. But boom, 20 years goes by, or whatever it's been, 22 years, and and you've, you know, you've had a, a very unique point of view, um, Andy's a great leader and a great uh, man. I think most of us would say that who who know him or have uh, read him or watched him. But I wonder if um, in all these years, has the ministry, you know, now these twenty years, has it has it changed? If 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 I could, you know, if if the Jeff Henderson of twenty twenty twenty, you know, with the young man that you were is walking into a church today, has it fundamentally changed? And I don't mean things like, you know, digital and that kind of thing, but has his ministry changed and um, you know, what 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 do you see as its greatest challenge or opportunity for people who are in the business of church today? Well, you may not be surprised that I'm going to say this, but it's because it's the season I've moved into, one of the things I began to realize is that I think God is doing something unique in the marketplace and with business leaders, entrepreneurs, that in some ways, even though the church is the church and it's the vehicle that God is, will always use to spread the gospel, but the there are, there are marketplace leaders who think that, well, I don't work in quote-unquote full-time ministry, so what I'm doing is lesser than in terms right. of the kingdom. And having spent a number of years in the business world and a number of years in the church world, I began to understand that there were places I could not be invited to as a pastor because I was a pastor. Um, and that's not wrong. It's just it is what it is. But I began to realize that there are a lot of business there are a lot of people that are working in businesses that have never genuinely experienced what a, a culture feels like to be genuinely for them. Hmm. And um, having worked for two thriving organizations, Chick-fil-A and North Point, um, a mentor of mine really encouraged me and said, you have a stewardship responsibility to pay it forward. What did you learn from those two organizations? And one of the things I learned is that you can have a thriving business and also have a compelling purpose. Chick-fil-A's purpose is not to sell chicken. Their purpose is to be the world's most caring company. Hmm. And that has nothing to do with chicken. And every single day, that's what they're striving for. Hmm. And they would tell you they've got a gap and they got to close the gap. But everybody in that company knows we want to be the world's most caring company. Hmm. And so for me, I think as it relates to the church, I think the church has got to do a better job of, of servicing and ministering to marketplace leaders. Okay. And that doesn't mean that we have a um, Monday morning Bible study and then they can go off to work. It's a, it's a ministry that encourages business leaders to let them know that they too are in full-time ministry. It just looks different. Mm. And so I think going forward, any great church like yours will continue to create opportunities to serve local business mm. leaders. And I, I think it's interesting that the church and business, they don't really talk very much amongst themselves. I just got back from uh, speaking at a, a CEO conference, and there were some pastors there. 
And I got off the phone before we started, Rob, with one of these. And the comment was made is that the pastors really didn't spend a whole lot of time with the business leaders at this event. And I was asked why, because I spent most of my time with the business leaders. Mm. And I said, well, I think sometimes church leaders are a little insecure because they, they don't know how to interact with business leaders because in many respects, we've not been in the business world. Right. We went to seminary and been in church world ever since. We're not quite sure how to inter- interact with them. And I totally get that. But I think it's a missed opportunity, and I mm. think it's a, a future opportunity. So as you think about, as I think about what, what the future of the church is, I really do think it's about helping marketplace leaders understand how to create thriving organizations for the community. Because mm. if you're going to be for Rochester or if we're going to be for Gwinnett, one of the components you've got to have are thriving businesses mm. that hire people, provide for economic benefit. And just provide for the well-being of the community. If you want to show me a thriving community, you got to show me thriving businesses. If you show me a community that's really suffering, I'll show you suffering businesses. Right. So that's not the only thing, but it's something that I'm very passionate about. And I do think this next generation, uh, continuing to engage the next generation, is going to be a key. Um, family ministry is mm. the sticky factor of church attendance. Wow, that's good. And for us, we loved it when kids woke up their parents on Saturday morning and said, let's go to church. And the parents would have to say, oh, it's not Sunday morning yet. It's just Saturday morning. Hmm. And so family ministry and business leaders, that's not an exhaustive list, but that's two, yeah, that's I think, good. key components for the future. A couple just quick questions about you personally, and we can be done. Um, what's the People probably ask you this all the time, but I selfishly want to ask you, um, what's the most important thing you learned from working with Andy Stanley? Well, I'll say this, Andy, from a uh, communication standpoint, in my, obviously I'm biased, right? So, because I worked for him for 17 years, I think he's the, arguably the best communicator on the planet. Mm. And he never stopped growing. He mm. never, uh, he never, he never reached a point where like, you know what? I've preached enough sermons. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of start to coast. He continues to this day to get three weeks ahead in his sermon planning. Mm. And I'm telling you, um, if pastors would stop preparing their messages 48 hours or 24 hours in advance and got three weeks out in advance, like Andy did, I think we would see a revolution in the church world. Wow. Because what, he, what he's doing when he's three weeks out is he's putting the sermon in the crock pot versus microwaving. That's great. When, when you put the sermon in a crock pot, pot and it marinates for three weeks, it just does something in your soul that it can't do within a 24 to 48 hour period. So he's insanely gifted as a communicator. He's insanely gifted as a deliverer Mm. and he's insanely gifted with creating these incredible bottom lines. And yet that never lulled him to sleep thinking that, you know what? I've been doing this for over three decades now. I got this. I'm going to start to coast. He never did that in 17 years. In fact, it, unless there was a funeral or some massive disaster or tragedy within our ministry, his Wednesdays were blocked off, and you can't get on a schedule. And that, and, it, and Andy's a, you know, he's, he's got a gift of discipline, so you know, so he's got an advantage there. But I was just always impressed mm-hmm. that he knew that one of his highest gifts to serve where I was serving was to make sure that the sermon he was delivering at Gwinnett Church is the very best it could possibly be. Wow. And I always admired that, that he never coasted. 
And typically people coast on their gifts because it comes uh, easier. Right. Never did that. He worked hard at his gifts. And the reason um, his sermons are so great is because, number one, he's gifted. Right. But number two, he stewarded that gift exceptionally well. Wow. What a great word and compliment and, and insight. Um, one of the things you say in your book um, – which I was kind of surprised, actually, um, your last chapter, I think it's your last chapter, it's about being for you, and which right. was an interesting um, way to think about it. So um, you might say a little bit about what that is, just that you know you, you have to be for you as a leader, as a, an organizational leader. But I wondered how are you, Jeff Henderson, for you in this season of your life? How do you live that out? Well, the reason I mention that is the, the best gift that you can give your organization is a healthy, re, you know, continually inspired, re-energized, healthy, emotionally healthy you. And if you're not emotionally healthy, if you're not bringing your best to the table, then the other three will suffer. And the organization needs to be genuinely for people in our organization. And uh, an example of that, five years ago, after we launched Gwinnett Church, um, while we were launching Gwinnett Church, I lost my dad. My dad passed away as my hero. We were, we were two staff members that were killed in separate tragic accidents just a few weeks apart. Wow. So it seemed like I was doing a funeral, massive funeral, every other week. It just it seemed, and it just went, and then now we're, you know, you've done this before, Rob. You got to launch a church, and, you know, it's just you're grieving, but you're leading at the same time. And so a few months after moving into the church, the um, Andy and the team came up to me and said, hey, we, we'd like to give you 30 days off because of all the stuff that you've been through and, and, you know, all the, you know, leading and everything. Well, that was just quite a gift to me. Uh, and I'm not sure I would have probably, you know, I think I may have just, the grief would have overwhelmed me if someone hadn't come and proactively approached mm. me and said, Hey, we need you to take some time off because of just everything that you've gone through. So that was another great reminder for me is how am I doing emotionally? And, um, and then, you know, I have this track record, <laughs> Uh, bless my, my my wife's heart. Every eight or nine years, going and doing something new, right. you know, uh, leaving Chick Fil A, leaving Buckhead to start Gwinnett, and then nine years in, leaving Gwinnett to do what I'm doing now. Um, and so, in this season, it's been um, it's it's the best of both worlds, Rob. Because it's what I mean by that is I really really loved the people of Gwinnett Church, and I really really loved what God is calling me to do with this four movement, but I can't do both. I knew right. at some point I had to choose, but there's a pain associated with that. There's a pain associated with any good decision because when you choose great over good, there's pain. And so I'm in the pain part still. Mm. I mean, I'm six weeks removed from leaving the church I started, the people I hired. Um, and so there's a pain associated with that, but it's, and I told the staff and I told the church that is that, you are the highest part of the pain because I love you all. At the same time, I feel like I need to be able to be a resource for great churches like Browncroft mm -hmm. and to be fair to them and do a podcast while at the same time not taking away from Gwinnett Church. Right. So I'm in the season of grief, but I'm also in the season of joy. I, I, I have two counselors. One's a professional transition coach that helps me with the business side. And one is an emotional counselor just that I've been dealing with for years. And um, my transition coach, I was talking about this to him. 
And he said, so you're telling me that you hold joy and sorrow at the same time right now? I'm like, absolutely. And I said, isn't that crazy? And he said, actually, the emotionally healthy person can hold joy and sorrow at the same time. That's a sign of emotional health. That's great. And I don't know how emotionally healthy I am, but that was encouraging for me to hear from him that it's not the opposite of sorrow. It's the traveling together in joy and sorrow. So to your question, I'm processing um, and now I'm processing with you and our podcast listeners. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, but it's been great for me to process process this out loud with people mm. who are going to go through their own transitions. For example, there will be a come a day when you're not the pastor. That's right. Uh, there, um, as hard as that is, as hard as this is to believe, there will be a day that Andy Stanley is not the senior pastor at North Point Ministries. That day's right. coming for all of us. Right. And that day, we have to start processing it now, mm. not you know five or ten. Right. <laughs> Uh, for me, it's kind of where I am. So my final question, which I ask everybody, and I'm, but I'm very interested in your answer, is about books. And, you know, what's the greatest book or books? And they could be, they don't have to be, you know, about church world or business world. Maybe it's, you know, uh, your favorite fiction. But what's the, the best book or two you've read in the last uh, season, last year in your life? So this isn't a Christian book, so I need to let everybody That's know great. that, Okay. When you see some of the language in the book, you're going to think, well, that's why he's no longer a pastor. <laughs> um, but um, there's a book that I've read probably 15 times in the last three years. It's called Ego is the Enemy hmm. by Ryan Holiday. It's a short book. Um, Egoist Enemy? Ego is the Enemy. Oh, Ego is the Enemy. You're okay. in- um, and I just I love it because anytime somebody says, I'm a humble person, they've already failed the test, right? Um and but what we should say is, I'm not a humble person. I'm a person that practices humility. Mm. That's what I'm trying to do. Mm. And Ego is the Enemy is such a fantastic read because it details people in history that either overcame their ego and won the battle or succumbed and lost the battle to ego. And so I would highly recommend that book um, for anyone. And, uh, and then Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin is uh, about Abraham Lincoln hiring his political candidate right. for rivals to basically be on his cabinet. But, but it's, it's a much bigger, right. <laughs> bigger book. So I would start with Ego is the Enemy. I did her um, master's class, you know, that master's class thing, if you're familiar with it. She, oh, yeah, anyway, she was, she's, awesome. she's phenomenal. Well, Jeff, I kept you longer than I wanted to. to thank you so much for the time. It's really been rich, and uh, thank you for your book, which uh, I'm, I have read, but uh, many others here are reading it, and for your work that we're enjoying and we're taking advantage of at our church. And uh, we wish you um, the very, very best. You're going to be, after this closes, on my prayers, just from what you just shared for me, praying for, for this season in your life. And, uh, and we hope to watch your, your ministry go and your company go, and, and, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll see you here at Broncroft. We hope so. Uh, sure. I hope, hopefully in 2021, I'll be there. So look forward to it. Great. Well, listen, thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of The Conversation. Look forward to continuing the conversation soon. 